on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are back in the deserted shell of post-apocalyptic London in season two of War of the Worlds on Disney+, Plus, warming up our vocal cords with Apple's new musical comedy Schmigadoon, and finding out what Anya and Shona have been up to since we last saw them in the brand new second season of This Way Up. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, at least two-thirds of which had a wonderful time watching the football semi-finals on Wednesday night, but I suspect we'll get into that a little bit later on, because this very special episode of the podcast sees me joined by three co-hosts. First up, a woman whose live commentary of the England-Denmark game in the Empire WhatsApp group was especially baffling for someone not actually watching the match, including, as it did, such sporting analysis as, Kira Knightley needs to step up. Their defence was banging. And why do they keep saying cul-de-sac? That was the thing at the end of my posh friend's streets. It's Terry White. Hello, Terry. Hello, James. I'm, I presume we're going to get on to you uh, reneging on our bet last week. Spoilers. We'll get on to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. I won't get away with it. But first, first, we must talk about the fact that Boyd is also here, a TV critic of legend who took inappropriate pandemic behaviour to fresh new levels this week when he interviewed a genuine Hollywood legend over Zoom while, (laughs) and this is absolutely true, wearing a T-shirt of their actual face, which is in no Mm. way creepy or inappropriate. It's Boyd Hilton. Boyd, we need to talk. I took a risk. I took a risk of wearing a T-shirt with said (laughs) Hollywood legend's face on it. And I thought, you know, it could go either way. He could think creepy twat or no. But he absolutely (laughs) embraced it. And he said he wished he'd have worn his own T-shirt with his face on it. And we could have had a lovely time. So, yeah, I don't regret anything. And you're not going to tell us who it was? Oh, it was Christopher Walken. It's fine. It's Christopher Okay, Walken. fair enough. That's oh, awesome. yeah. it's fine. He's going yeah. for love, yeah. isn't he? He's going for love. But anyway, none of that matters. None of that matters. Because also joining us this week is an extra special guest. You will, of course, know her from stand-up shows, including her recent Netflix special as team captain on 8 Out of 10 Cats, and from many, many series like uh, Living With Yourself, Quiz, The Fall, Finding Joy, Hard Sun, and Trollied. This week, though... She is with us as the writer, creator, and star of BAFTA-winning Channel 4 comedy series This Way Up. It's Ashlyn B. Hello. Hello. Boyd, where's my T-shirt with my headshot that I sent you? Um, in the oh, book? God, you're so right. I should have absolutely worn that, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you got merchandise with your face on it, though? Oh, mm-hmm. of course, at all times. Okay. Just um, it, it, It's just um, hand wash only underwear underwear oh. so i assume you're wearing the ones i said my face uh, at the front uh, my long hair at the back of it edible underwear i presume yeah that's why it's hand wash only um uh, so yeah you have to be very careful with it um i have to say so it's been a couple of years since series one of this way up turned up on channel four uh and i sat down yesterday to watch the first episode again to refresh my memory and i gotta be honest with you i watched all six episodes back to back and then the first three of Series 2, which is the only ones that Channel 4 made available to us, all in one delirious sort of crack-fueled binge almost. It was like, you know, once you start, you can't stop. Like Pringles, but better for the soul. So, so I mean, tell me about Series 2, because when you ask most people, as you do these days, how was your lockdown, you get sort of a, a tale of woe and trauma. But this, presumably, is your answer to this question, because you had to conceptualise and write and shoot this all while the world was, you know, ending. Yeah, I can't I can't say it was easy to be honest because you're you're in that halfway house between being extremely grateful for work and especially like 
having being an actor but also a stand-up like the stand-up world was sort of decimated by COVID because it's essentially a live um, uh, in-person around lots of people breathing and having lots of air or awkwardly <laughs> coughing while you, while you do terrible jokes like my one earlier on about the merch um, <laughs> there was not an ideal thing to do during, during the pandemic but I, on one hand I was extraordinarily grateful that you know, I had to work, but gratitude doesn't actually inspire you. You know, it just makes you feel really guilty all day long that you mm. find it very hard to work. And I think we're all, I mean, I know everyone here probably um, writes as well, but like it, um, you know, the way you think, oh, if I just had more time, I'd write those books. And I think most people who wrote were like, oh no, time wasn't, time wasn't it. Mm. <laughs> time wasn't the thing that was holding me back. Because now I have months and months and every day I get up and just like procrastinate and just walk around being sad and shaking my hands in the air. And what I realized was inspiration. And I think, especially with, with human contact people that there's, for all of us, what actually gets us through life is being inspired or playfulness or connection. Mm. And without that, it was I found it incredibly hard to, to write the series. Um, and then I thought, well, it'll get easier <laughs> once we start filming. Uh, and then there were COVID cases. I spent Christmas alone, isolated in the house where they cancelled Christmas, the government. Yeah. Then uh, I think it was a fourth or was it the third national lockdown? So we started filming as the cases were rising every day. And I was like, well, that really didn't go to plan. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's been a, a, a battering um, uh, in terms of like just your craft. And But again, alongside that, you know, you still haven't had it worse than most people are having it, but you're sort of, so it's a sort of guilty feeling of, 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 of feeling bad a little bit, which is very Irish, I think, very on brand. <laughs> I remember when you were talking about how, you, when you wrote series one, when you were doing stand up in New York, weren't you? And, and I remember you saying that you had a deadline and you had to send a script to London, to Channel 4 or something, and you were trying to get on Wi-Fi outside of Starbucks or oh, something. Oh, was it? No, I, I actually was going with Nish Kumar, who's a very good friend of mine. He's a stand-up, and, and and his girlfriend and my friend, Amy Annette. And they'd come over to New York for New Year's Eve, and I was like, I am going to go and watch Mike Birbiglia, you know, in New York, and I'm not. I'm going to get the work done today, and I'll be done by four, then I'll go and meet them for a drink. And instead, I have pictures. Nish took them because he thought it was hilarious of me outside the theatre with my laptop on a bollard trying to do the last edit to send <laughs> the, one of the episodes to Channel 4 because I could go in. Procrastination is my biggest, oh God, a pure role thing, but like you've never seen anything like it that, uh, to the gold medal. So, but with one to three, I did sort of write them. One thing I asked for this time around with Channel 4, I was like, is there any way, just it's a pandemic, I don't have to send in episode one and then get back notes on episode one when I'm doing two and then this the old way. And I wrote one to three, almost like a mini film. Mm. So that's why with um, journalists and stuff, some people would only normally send out one episode. But I sort of felt like I wanted to send one to three out to people because that's the first half. Then there's episode four at the top and five and six. So that's how I wrote them. And that's kind of how I wanted to, them to be seen. You know, when the chef goes, play, play to the front. What's your what's your process like when you when you do all this stuff? Like do you spend a lot of time noodling and then write it in a burst, or does the actual writing take months and months? I was gonna say I have no process, but that's it. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. That's yeah. My therapist hasn't gotten round to that answer yet, James, but you did it really quickly. Um, I think I've got like I've got ADHD and it definitely comes in, in bursts. 
and it can be nothing for ages. And I hate that. Like Sharon is a very disciplined writer. Mm. She's got two hours. She sits at a computer and does the work she needs to do. It's not always as easy as that, but I can have days and just sit there and find something else to do. And I, but what I've learned is to not fight my own brain because it's not going to change or it would have by now with all of the uh, various hypnotism and psychics and crystals and everything else. And that to kind of jot notes all the way along. So even now I'd have notes that I think of for, for other characters and this and just constantly yeah. put them there. And eventually you've got this little bank chest that you go through. And I'd always have six documents open all the time through the six episodes. So I took the pressure off if I felt like writing a bit of six I'd write a bit of six. So at least I did something for the day, which really started to help me this time. So I'd written the end of the series before I finished episode two, as in the end scene. Yeah. So you just constantly, rather than, I'm never going to be the sort of person who just finishes one. And I think I, I had to learn how to stop. Maybe that's one good thing to come out, learning how to stop fighting what inevitably is your process, whether you like it or not, and trying to be someone else's process. That's so true. Because you do, you read, every writer seems to have a different way, even within our office when it comes to magazine journalism. Like everyone has a different approach to writing articles, and one thing will never work for someone else. And then they always say, like, when you have difficulty writing, like banging your head against that one block is the worst thing you could do. It's just skip over it, write whatever you want, and just write something else and just keep on running with it. Yeah, and bits of paper everywhere. I also have wallpaper that's a whiteboard inspired Daryl Green. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, wow. his head. And it's a magnetized whiteboard. And then I also have little sticky post-its, reusable post-its. And so ev everything goes up there now with a magnet and even even just for life things. So it means like Dumbledore's pensive. Hurry, pass me <laughs> ring my mother. It's a yeah. cross between creative genius and serial killer. I like it. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Don't zoom in on what you just saw on that board, by the way. Um, what, I, what I've always been interested in that, actually, in terms of journalists or magazine journalism. Like, how do you collate a chat and then put it into an article? Or like, how do you create, like, do you know, are you sort of trained up and like, this can only be 500? Oh, God. <laughs> well, James has, James, you do have a psychopathic colour coding document system. I do. Which I once witnessed and terrified the shit out of me. <laughs> Do you want wow. to share? What is it? What is James? Coding system. So, yeah, when I do a piece which has lots of voices in it, I, mm -hmm. I colour code everyone's interview transcript. So every single person has their own colour. So then when you slap in the quotes, you can see how much each voice is there and how dominant it is. Uh, so I quite like to do that. That's my sort of dirty <laughs> 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 it's, I wish it was quite as sexual as that, but it's just—it's more just uh, my my, my yeah. writing process is self-loathing and uh, and neurosis. That's really my yeah, my stock and trade. <laughs> yeah. And what about your Terry and Terry and Boyd? What do you? How do you put together interviews, especially interviews where yeah. you're putting together well, scattered? I it, it, actually it's weird because I've written a book and I do magazine journalism, and I try to approach my book like the magazine journalism which I do, which is very ordered, and and it, I have to do it very much in. A linear order and I have all my transcriptions and I go through and I kind of write it and lift things but I can't complete the next bit until I start this bit and I mm. um uh was uh sold my book and I was doing that kind of perfectionist thing where I couldn't move on to the next paragraph until I perfected that one and mm. basically yeah. my word count was the same for about six weeks and I kept thinking oh my god I'm gonna miss my deadline so in the end I just wrote because it was memoir I wrote the bits that were coming to me first. I wrote it all out of order, totally non-linear, 
completely fucked my own process um, and then went back and actually made it into something afterwards. And excuse my ignorance now with your book, but was it is was that your first book? Yes. So do you think you were discovering like a new, like a new, you had to discover a new type of writing because it wasn't journalism? Yes, 100%. 100%. Absolutely. But um, yeah, and I, boy, do you like juggle a million interviews at all times? How do you do mm. that? I, um... Yeah, I do do like about two or three interviews a week most of the time. Uh, transcribing Ooh. is the worst thing in the world. Um, transcri- but what I but I do transcribe every word. So I always say to, I always think maybe this time, you know, when I'm writing a two thousand word interview with someone, <laughs> uh, like I did Ricky Gervais recently for the twentieth anniversary office, which is today, by the way, this yeah. very day. Oh, it what? is, yeah, twenty years since the office. So I interviewed, I did a big interview with him. I had an hour and a quarter with him, and I had twelve thousand words of transcription, <laughs> which is practically like you know, it's, that's a lot. And you, um, you literally uh, uh, like, is there an app or do you? There is an um, app. There is an app, but. I'm and you'd have to, to go back and edit it, so yeah, it's still... It's, the thing about the apps are they're always <laughs> trick. They're never, they're never accurate. They're probably, I don't know, between 60 yeah. and 70 times an hour. So you have to yeah. go through the whole thing anyway. So I just do it. I just yeah. transcribe the whole thing myself. And it's hell. Yeah. And I just scrub every single word and then just kind of probably go through it two or three times to get it to some kind of shape down to the from the 12,000 to the 2,000 in the Ricky Gervais example. And and it's just that, pro- yeah, I don't know. I just kind of constantly think what's the most interesting things that, he's, that this person is saying and getting um, it down and down and down again to some kind of structure. It's, because sometimes it's as pain. well, like you might say something that's in- interesting in a chat with two people, but it might not be interesting mm. on the page. Right. Exactly. It's the same yeah. with like sometimes I do something I'm like, oh no, that's better for stand up because it's funnier when I describe it than when I show it. And then sometimes you go to describe a story and you're like, no, that needs to go in a script because we need to see mm. that. Yeah. Rather than talking about someone falling over or something like that, it's funnier to see. Yeah. So it's finding the right bit for the right. Um, Roisin Connolly said that to me before, who's I'm sure a friend of the show as well, um, about um, she said, just because you've got a story, it doesn't mean it has to fit in every medium, mm. that it can fit. Like you might, you might remember something from your memoir from an interview that made it to an interview that wasn't actually yeah. interesting for the um, audience to read as part mm. of that interview. I had, mm. I had a question about um, season two, which was just about, what, do you think it's fair to say if season one is, is really about surviving and wanting to survive season two seems to me from what I've seen so far about just living and and it's much I think it doesn't feel like it's a ground that's been gone over loads actually because it doesn't seem as dramatic as you know the bit when she's checking out and and all of the stuff that came after that was that did you know that was going to be the shape of season two. Maybe it's where my interest is. Like I watch loads of reality TV and I love it. I love when they just go to brunch and so do millions of people. And that's what I like writing. And and I think you have to stay kind of true to what you like because at least if you like it, you go to bed at night thinking, well, I am proud of that because people are going to not like your stuff. And it's so funny because an American tweeted me with a review this morning and I like, I it was a first I forgot that that would happen Mm. and um, I read it of course and it was a really nice review that started off really what I thought was mean but it was like nothing happens so nothing happens (laughs) but you don't actually mind but listen nothing really happens nothing happens you're like oh my god I didn't realize nothing happened I thought loads of stuff happened there were phrases on the plot but I suppose that's actually where for me real life Mm. occurs I I was quite careful, especially with the issues around mental health, to make sure sometimes nothing did Mm. happen. Because after series one, 
some people will come up to me and say, oh, what happened to Anya though? We never actually find out what happened. And I'm like, oh, I didn't write it for you. I hope you enjoyed it, but you're not who I wrote it for because sometimes nothing happens. Mm. And even when I'm talking about writing and why I couldn't get around to typing one day, nothing happened. There was no big dragon who stood in the way and, you know, punched me in the face with a lightsaber. I don't know. That's just a bit of a metaphor there. But But nothing happened. And I think maybe that's why some people relate more to certain parts of it because you're like, oh, yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. But yet there's this, this the cloud hanging over that you can't sort of push away. And I think with them, um, I remember uh, my friend Jordan Carlos, who is a stand up. Um, uh, and I talk about this a lot only because it was just like such a it, it was a click. Um, I was doing reshoots for Home Alone in September and I was quarantined in Canada in an apartment and I wasn't allowed to leave trying to finish episode four. And I was really like, ah, <laughs> and like I hadn't moved from my area in London and suddenly I found myself in Canada in the pandemic. And it was really try- quite kind of nerve wracking, but he was um, nearby also in his apartment and we were FaceTiming from like down the road. But he was saying he'd heard this writing quote about how if your series one is the war, series two is the aftermath mm. of the war, whether that's peace or whether you won or lost the battle. So in a sense, series one of this way up is she won the battle, which was like, are you going to stay alive? And the answer was yes. But then what does that look like once you've made that decision? And it's almost like with grief, what does it look like a year later when the people stop texting every day and stop ringing and there's no more uh, food given to you by the people in the freezer? What does that level look like? And I know it might not be the most outwardly interesting thing, but I think that's actually, especially after the year and a half we've had, where most people mm-hmm. exist. I spent some time in a, a locked psychiatric ward and that that really resonated mm-hmm. with me, the realism of that, of of this there isn't a big people want a reason and then they want the big kind of um you know turn around the narrative arc where things get dramatically better whereas actually what happens is mm-hmm. you just decide to live and then you start living and it's still tricky and it's still great and it's yeah. still but it's just living and getting on and there's a ability to that that doesn't maybe always get celebrated but there's a i think people get rewarded less for plowing on through your day in a really normal fashion like what about the people who didn't sort of uh, get through it and win an olympic medal at the end you know because they're normally the people who get celebrated but um i remember um and i've talked about this before but after the last series i was in ireland and my there was an interview from an irish female journalist with a friend of mine about her show which is brilliant and in it uh, and I kind of know maybe where she got the word from, but in it, she described, you know, Amy is up there with fellow train wrecks, Ashling B and Roisin Connolly and Amy Schumer. And I know what she meant about Amy Schumer because her movie was called Trainwreck. But I'm like, um, or, or maybe shows about train wrecks, but whatever it was, I was like, what part? I don't describe my character in any way as a train wreck. She's kind. She's loving. She has a um, she has a flat that she lives in. She turns up for her students. And I, I was sitting there going, oh, is it that she's single or that she's in her 30s or doesn't have kids? Or what part What part of this is the the failure mm. of someone actually gotten help and getting through stuff? And it really angered me. And that's why in episode three, you see when she's on the couch talking to her mother and she's like, you know, why are the people who run pharmaceutical companies not the messes? And I strongly believe that. Mm. Like Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos is a train wreck. Mm. I didn't have all that money and doing nothing with it. Like what a train wreck of a human. Um, and yet... You're, you're sort of seen as a failure for that type of life. She she loves her job and she's a good teacher. So it's not like she's even trying to get out of teaching, which again may not be the most dramatic thing, but it's sort of where my mm. 
I, I love little moments in an office. That's mm. what the office is, actually. Mm. I'm not comparing yeah. mm. to the office, but it's just little moments mm. around. Nothing really happens. There might be like the group day out to the karaoke or whatever, but nothing happens either. And yet it's it's human observation, which maybe is the thing about stand-ups. That's what mm. we do generally with what we're interested in. But this series, I think as a whole, has that kind of realism sort of tangible realism to it because you can imagine if this was like an american sitcom and it would be like right she's come out of rehab and she's like a tutor for this guy and she's gonna fall in love with the father and it would just be you could almost pull it out in your head and this never goes the way you think it will go and you know that relationship which obviously forms so it's one of the many plot lines in the first series essentially comes to fruition off screen in between seasons you know it's lovely in in the way that it sort of subverts those sort of obvious steps does what you don't think it will do and feels i think like real life as a result yeah and maybe that's maybe i'm a romantic and i realize how those things don't happen yeah and i i suppose i'm playing the devil's advocate of my friends in a lot of situations where i put her with richard and the feeling of the audience is a feeling of a lot of times maybe with some of my friends or whatever going don't get carried away you're like, Too late. got a hat i bought a hat i met him last and um Maybe that's where my interest was, is to sort of step away from situations I've been in myself and trying to write that, but also trying to flesh out the other characters. I think a lot of the time in life, you sit at home analysing what other people might have thought. And the gift, I suppose, is, is what script writing is. You get to write those conversations sometimes. You get to write the ones you didn't get to have. Um, even like I thread little bits through all of my characters. There's, there's, it's not autobiographical, but there's a bit of me in every single yeah. character. And so you get to you you have this blank page where you get to write the either the conversation as you remembered it um, or else as as you might have liked it to happen. Um, and what I find interesting is if I have an opinion, sometimes I try to break it up between two characters and give a little bit of the opposite side to each one mm. as well. Um, you haven't seen it yet, but in episode five. There is a, a dialogue between Indira and Sharon's character, um, Shona and Charlotte. And that's it, that's a point blank of that. I've been the person who said both things and I've and I've um, wanted to hear and wanted to say both sides of things. And it's this court like I really love how Sharon and Indira do that scene is my favorite scene in the in it. And again, it's not a breakup chat. It's a what if you got to have the chat honestly with someone who'd ended things? And I suppose that's maybe I I I know the other scenes because I've seen them in other shows and I want to see the but I, I mm. always love like finding out things like where do they have their lunch at Love Island? We never get to see it. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, yeah. Who cleans the villa? Yeah. yeah. What was interesting the bit you don't see on screen yeah. sometimes. Like the I want to see the making of the making of Love Island. Yeah. I want to see how they're <laughs> yes. yeah. Oh my god, we do like yeah. the kind of boom god or yeah. whatever it is. And before they go action. Yeah. Well, what are they doing? How are they interacting? Yeah. Are you watching it again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, obviously I've you know it's so problematic in many ways, you know, for people, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> But in in series two, because I I think those two relationships, as you said, Charlotte and Shona and yours Mm -hmm. with Richard, it's so interesting how, and by the way, the idea that nothing happens when both of these relationships are are, are fascinating and you don't know how they're going to go. And that's why I think so, because on one level, it's a bit of a rom-com thing, but unlike most rom-coms, I like right now, having also watched up to episode three, I have no idea how the Charlotte Hmm. and Shona thing is going to be resolved. I'm fascinated because she wants to, she's going to get, she's supposed to be getting married soon. He's away. I mean, this fascinating, she's canoodled 
Well, they've canoodled, haven't they? And that's like yeah. just Boys. like a bombshell thing. It's Clearly, so it's happening in their life. I well, love that you're, you're reclaiming use of the word canoodle. I'm reclaiming <laughs> the use, yeah, I'm reclaiming the use. And similarly, in your, in your scenes with Tobias Menzies, like a quite very realistic sex intimacy scenes um, with issues. It's like it's almost like anti-rom-com in a way, but but in both cases, I don't know what's going to happen, which is very unusual, I think, in a, in a comedy. Wait, I wanted to do that, but I think it's one thing you learn from stand-up, um, how much audiences need to be told and how much they love working things out. Mm. And I suppose with me, in particular with romance, because it is what I love. I love watching relationships. I watch Love Island. I watch Too Hot to Handle. I, I'm fascinated by when we let our guards down and when we put our guards up and completely retreat in relationships. And that could be, it could be in this interview. Maybe I said the wrong thing. And so Neymar's like, yeah, well, Ashling, it's been lovely talking to you. Bye. And I'm like, oh no, who knows what happened and how we got to that. Let's write it. Um, and so with, I, I think it's not realistic. I can't sort of be this feminist lefty stand-up who goes on about how toxic romantic comedies are sometimes in that they make you think if you run through an airport that that's your person, whereas actually that's chaos. That's not a real relationship. That's a toxic environment where someone just wanted you because you were leaving. And I think I'm fascinated in trying to have a little look at what does healthy love look like? Mm. What does, um, and that you never know. You don't know if someone's your person. You just sort of decide that 70% of this is right. Maybe 10% of the world maybe find their person forever, but a lot of other people either stay with a person forever or, but that's, that's most people in most relationships. And I think me, I grew up with no, um, I grew up in a single parent family. And so I am fascinated by relationships. And I like, I I have this bit of stand up where it's like, I don't know where the man goes during the day. Like, is there a shed or a garage or where, (laughs) what, what would someone do? Cause we filled Mm. our house. So where does the other person go or how do you make time for them or what Mm. do you do? I think that's a part of like watching relationships. And I like, I like maybe messing with the audience and right the way through notes. If a note came through, they were like, oh, should we plow this? I'm like, no, because then you'll know that's going badly or then, you know, that's going well. So don't I'm not going to put that in Um, because I don't want you to know because I don't think you do. I don't think you do know most of the time Mm. Um, you just are a good decision maker. But I don't think anyone really knows, you know. Did you find it as I remember you talking about how writing series one, you felt a bit it felt lonely writing on your own. And yeah. writing a show, which is partly about loneliness. Was it less lonely this time or worse? Or did you? Uh, it was worse, I think, this time because I'd put in all these plans and how not to make it like series one in terms of the writing process. And then um, it was March and I was starting. I was like, I'm going to go into an office every day. There's going to be people. We're going to chat around. Maybe I'll help them out with something. They'll help me out with something. Denny. And then the government has announced an international lockdown. <laughs> um, and I was like, whoa, this could last for two to three weeks. Weeks. That'll be terrible for my writing process. <laughs> and I was like, oh, two, three weeks. Oh, that'll be awful. Poor people. Um, and here we are now. Uh, still no rap party or drink. Um, so it was, but I, I think one part of me was actually like, in a way, I had enough time to be in my house and be in, in, in one place. I think the biggest thing was a lack of inspiration and, and, Rather than writing is always, always going to be hard. But I think what I found hardest was never getting to mark moments. So there was never like a drink because you finished an episode or you did it or you got through stuff or like we just finished the filming the whole series after all of that. And just I just went home that night and that's still where I am. <laughs> and it, I think 
your brain needs to mark moments. Mm. And even even if you look at how devastating it is for anyone who's lost anyone in the last year and a half, and boy, we both have a, a personal friend who's lost someone as well, not many. And um, it's awful to not be able to have a proper send off or funeral because those human marker moments are what get us to through and, and and makes your memory. So I think that's why we're all, I don't know about you guys, but from lots of people I talked to, we're all struggling to find out when was that? Was that a month ago or two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Nothing is marking time passing because we are not going out and doing anything. So I think those are the things I found hard was that no, the difference between I've been describing it recently as salmon in the house. I feel like I'm just always eating salmon in the house. <laughs> Easy to make. It's not that unhealthy. Salmon in the house. So I, I think that's... I eating that, it on a plate, though, because that's... Ah, that, uh, sometimes, you know. Boyd. I'll I say, mean, yeah, because it's being recorded, but sometimes straight my mouth. Um, <laughs> At least yours is semi-healthy. Mine is just crisps on the sofa. So, you know, it's, it's a slightly... Mm. Yeah, see, I, I would actually choose to eat that. We yeah, all do yeah. the things we have to do to get through it. I mean, one of the things we do tend to do is immerse ourselves in television. Like, what, what are the shows that have got you through the pandemic lockdown like what have you immersed yourself in could i just say that was a great segue james by the way that was Woo! thank you thank you for yeah. <laughs> we barely noticed it didn't we <laughs> change topics um, or what about the, i love i think when i'm there's loads of shows i love which my friends have made like feel good by may martin yes Rose Matafeo's show. Oh my God, her rom-com is so excellent. Um, there's just been loads sliced by Samson Kay. It was so funny. Um, but when I'm writing, I find it hard to watch other comedies mm. and I love anything that I can't do. And so crime, 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 mm. crime, crime, crime. Um, <laughs> I watched all five series of Nicola Walker's... Um, yes, I've uh, forgotten. Unfor- I was going to say unforgiven, but not forgotten. Like I'm on the corners. Clint Eastwood is DCI Cassie Stewart. <laughs> yeah. uh, unforgotten. And I just, every actor is in it, turning up, doing their best work. And she gets too emotional. No wonder she's so stressed because she's all that. We, we will not let this girl lie in the car park for any longer than she already because it was too long and she has a family and we're going to bring her home. And I'm like, oh God, Nicola, you're getting too involved. I'm getting too involved. I know you're going to end up stressed, babe. Um, so yeah, things like that line of duty just ate it up. I hadn't, I started watching line of duty while we were filming, but I'd never seen it before. Mm. And I, I could not stop talking like Ted Hastings for a bite. I'd say weeks afterwards. Um, so anything with crime or a plot that really, mm. you know, where something happens. <laughs> yeah. So that's my thing. And then real, anything reality, like real housewives where it's just women talking. And I think it reminds me of like growing up. The sound of women fighting is just my sort of easy place. This uh, this segment where we talk about what we've essentially been watching over the last week often gets I, I often say marred by the presence of reality TV. I'm I'm not someone who really understands reality TV, but were I to take the leap into reality TV, were I to do it, which is not going to happen, let's be honest. But if I were to, what would you say would be the entry of choice? Like, where would you begin? What would be your primer? Well, what I found in why I started watching Real Housewives was basically I had a friend called Kara Clank in America, and she's a really brilliant stand-up, and she was telling my friend Kitty that she loves Real 
Housewives of New York. And my friend Kitty said, oh, I was actually in an episode once. And um, she, her old family friend is Dorinda Medley, who's in one of the episodes of New York. And Kitty ended up being at a party in the background without them telling her that they were going to have cameras there. She turned up while they were in London. And so I went and started rooting through and started becoming a fan accidentally of Real Housewives. And I started at episode six not realizing she'd been in in, in series five, sorry, uh, series six. And then long after I'd gotten hooked, I went back and watched from the start when they were still using house phones. And then one day I heard Kitty's voice. I was like, no, <laughs> um, but I think there's something about going back to, you could make it feel a bit more like a history documentary, James. And if you go back to the early ones where they're still sitting around waiting for someone to call on a house phone, and then you could <laughs> trick yourself into thinking that it's a historical drama or a period drama. I start you know? with uh, with 2000 Big Brother. Because mm. you're looking at it then as a social experiment. Yeah, yeah. Like, a museum piece. He's, and we should be clear yeah. about James's reasons for not watching said television, which is oh, that Christ. he's a massive fucking snob. Aren't you, James? Oh, okay, James. Oh, not good enough for you, eh? A man needs crisps on the couch for a year and a half. I'm sorry. Didn't realize I was going to go with your uh, high end meal on the couch. Yes, but I'm eating crisps while watching Game of Thrones, so it's fine. (laughs) And actually, we, I thought you were watching, we had a whole Big Brother thing. Was it last year, Boy Day, when it was the anniversary? Yeah. Weren't you going to go and watch some at that point? He always says these things. He never does it. No, naked jacuzzi-ness. <laughs> James has re-watched Game of Thrones, all 70 episodes, like three times, and he won't give himself an hour to watch a fucking episode of Real Housewives. I tell you, it's a disgrace. But everyone has their coping mechanism. That's the one thing I'll never do is once I know something, I, I'm bored. Once I, so I right. never the- want yeah. I never watched anything. Doing the edit of the show is knackering because I'm like, even comedies. You don't rewatch comedies. Never, never, never. Wow. I'm not one of those people who has a comfort really? comedy like Friends. I never rewatch anything. No, oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's I better. Mean, it means you can watch more like, stuff. Fall asleep and 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 just like no, no more. Whereas my sister would she that she would fall asleep listening to the only thing I re-listen to is this one hypnotism app to get me to sleep about this woman called Lily who's opening a bakery and <laughs> as soon as she gets to making her blueberry muffins I'm like I'm done. <laughs> well, Terry falls asleep to um, uh, Law and Order. Uh, SVU. SVU, SVU specifically. SVU. Which is like, yeah, specifically. I fall asleep to Alan Partridge. So yeah. Okay. I'd, it's like honestly, I I started about ten years ago, and it's I, I can't stop. And the other day, got up early with my son for breakfast on Sunday, put the latest Law and Order on because the new season's on everybody. And uh, my mother-in-law came in, and there was a full-on like sex simulated cyber cam <laughs> sex scene, and it was like. And she was like, I think he's a bit young to be watching this. And we all just sat there frozen to the spot while a woman orgasmed. And my mother-in-law looked like she was about to have a, have a heart attack. Um, but yes, it's and my like, thing. I like what you like, Susan. Do you want some toast? And toast. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, there's something, it's the, it's the formula, it's the music, it's yes. those characters that you know so well after 20 something seasons like i know it's grim yeah they brought those out like a formula that's what it the must formula. be the formula that you're like i know this is yeah. and you know they say that 
um, SVU and CSI, there was a massive surge in in making more of those after 9-11 in America. Mm. And they said there was some correlation, you know, like the Bake Off kind of happened at the right time mm. when people needed soothing, that there was something about people uh, as a as a whole needing a psychological, um, psychologically needing a sign that the people in charge, Need the government, the police force, are, are know what they're doing and there'll be an end. There's a yes. beginning, middle and end. The resolution is everything. I always talk about the fact that they did one episode of SBU where they didn't resolve the ending. So what the ending was, the jury person <laughs> stood up and they said, how do you find? They said, we the jury find him. And then it cut away and they were doing oh. an experiment in not giving a verdict. And there was uproar. They got deluged by complaints. Because people like me were going, well, now you've left me in a state of anxiety and not knowing. Like, that's yeah. your responsibility. I need the resolution. That's what I've just realized I've done with my show. That I was <laughs> like, I like everything I don't write. Plot, resolution, knowing a formula, <laughs> working out the same every time. And I'm like, so that's not what I do at all. Yeah, but yours is real, though. Yours is real. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah, the... yeah. Like Real Housewives, which is. Which is yeah, well, great. more real yeah. than Real Housewives, I think, in, in many ways. I once hung out with um, the Real Housewives of New York. I lived in New York for a bit and I hung out one oh night in a downtown bar. Wow. In meatpacking, so it's very fancy with those women, and um, they are a right laugh, and they can put it away. That was that was a good workout night. Do you do a journalist, or you just happen to be in the same bar as I was a a journalist, and they were invited to our holiday party. (gasps) Oh my god! Who you don't remember who it was? I know this is boring for Jake. I know that doesn't narrow it down. They invited me to go watch horse racing with them, but I blacked out and slept through, unfortunately, because that would have been, that would have been a good afternoon. Classic. Classic. <laughs> well, I didn't to go horse racing because I blacked out with the real houses. We've all done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I haven't heard this story before. That's this is gold. No, I mean, I, neither have I. But then I suppose it's slightly outside my arena. But I want to do like an SVU with you, Terry, where I put up pictures of all their headshots and going. Do you see any of the you women you, yeah. you saw? Yeah. Who gave yeah. the martini? <laughs> no. Who was it? Terry, you're doing really well. Was it Dorinda? <laughs> Please. Just the same woman over and over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So wow. in terms of what we have, in fact, also been watching this week, there is mm-hmm. obviously the football, which I'm assuming everyone is watching. Ashley, are you a football fan? Did you watch the football? No one, no. But like, God bless you. And- <laughs> but would you even watch, have you, are you even, even if Ireland are playing, are you even vaguely interested in that? Or is it just... Uh, yeah, like Ireland I play, but I do the same thing I do with pub quizzes, which is sort of like, let them at and keep it going, does anyone need anything? This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so just sort of hover around, but not actually focus on the game itself. Right. So I, I like... And I think that's what I, I like the sound of people having a good time. If it needs to be football that does it, so be it. It's not my ideal way, but like, so be it. And it's also a nice way to get like, you know, 90 minutes to yourself, you know, and <laughs> yeah. overtime. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's how I see football. But yeah, it is, it is I, can, I can feel everyone's excitement. And I think after this last year, it's nice that I know even English people who don't like football are like something communally good and mm-hmm. that we just need communal things at the moment that are uniters, yeah. not... Um, and I think, but I also think that you're right. And I, I think the timing is, is perfect because it feels like it's arriving. Yeah. But as you were t- saying about, you know, all these all these shows arriving just when we need them, it feels like this is arriving when we need it. I think that I- England can get a bit of a bad rap, you know, mm-hmm. colonialism and whatnot. Fair enough, <laughs> yeah. You guys. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> but like it's really nice to see a team in terms of you know there's that kind of meme going around about like what the football team would be without immigration yeah, um, yeah. I know it's kind of like a it, it kind of like obvious thing to point out, but it is a really nice thing that in this time, which has felt so divisive and as if that word immigration means is a bad word, it's not a bad word, that you've got this team made up of this lovely um, kind of group of people who come from all different sorts of backgrounds and represent what m- more modern Britain is and is a really nice example mm-hmm. of what England, you know, mm-hmm. rather than the kind of, sort of more bad press that can happen at times. And it feels like it's, it's an easier team to sort of even like mm. for even my mother, like, ah, God love them. And I hope they do well, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Sort of yeah. No, it's absolutely really true. Yeah. I particularly enjoyed the fact that uh, Pretty Patel was uh, tweeting support for the England team and someone yeah. classically yeah. responded, if football came home, you'd have it fucking deported. And I thought yeah. that yeah. was just yeah. delightful. I mean, Boris being uh, stood there with his suit and tie on oh, under his off, England yeah. shirt. I was just like, it's hilarious. But, you know, these are yeah. Pretty Patel said she, she would not condemn the fans who booed them for taking the knee. I mean, you know, lots of people, MPs proclaiming they wouldn't watch this year's World Cup, World Cup, Euro Cup, because um, they were taking the knee. And it's like, these, oh look, at, look at all so the success. Like you're saying, what an example. Like, if they're, they're taking a knee and taking a knee represents something that's really important. Mm. And, like, there are so many footballers who spent their lives just taking endorsement deals. And again, isn't it nice to think that your kids might look up to someone who's politically active, who cares? And we're like, they're just footballers. And like, yeah, well, singing a national anthem is a political mm. act. So just being able to do that, I just think, yeah, it's just a really nice thing that they stand up for what they're, they literally don't stand up, actually. They, <laughs> <laughs> they stand up and kneel. <laughs> um, but that they, that you, like kids can look up to people who are like, no, we set an example by caring and not just being footballers. Yeah, oh, my heart feels so fat in my chest. Shall we move on to the listener question? Um, have Ooh. we done? Have we done the rest of what we're watching? What we watched? Sure, so by all means. Don't don't allow me to derail you, Terry. Carry well, on. You go. Number one. So, um, I talked about extraordinary twins on ITV last week. I watched the second part. Did you watch it, Boy Day? No, I haven't caught up yet. So, um, conjoined twins uh, centers around um, a couple who are going to be definitely um, uh, operated on to make them two individual people Mm -hmm. and a family who are trying to make the decision. Very moving, reality TV. Suck it up, James. And then finally, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the return of Long Lost Family, which, as you know, Mm. hits all of my emotional buttons. So it was the, episode one was classic long lost family, a foot as um, a Scottish footballer uh, whose mum gave him up obviously when he was born, and it turned out she'd seen him on the telly, like and so knew who he was because he played for. It was, it was no. yeah, it's an amazing story. So I spent uh, Thursday night crying as well watching that. As good as it's ever been, as good as it's ever been. Did she ever, when she watched him on telly, did she just remember watching him, but no, like, she wasn't like, I recognised no. you. Or so you when like, they said his name, she was like, oh, what's his surname? And they told him, she went, oh my God, I think I see, I saw him play for his country. I was like, oh. that would trip you. Oh, um, but yes. Yeah, it's Dominic Matteo is his name. And yes. that, that was, a, that is an amazing story because no one knew about this. But I mean, I, I you know, he, he's a famous, been a famous footballer for years. Yeah, and, and absolutely incredible. Yeah. 
Good James space. You also think like, during those moments, like you obviously couldn't plot that someone who's just on your reality TV show is going to end up being the mother of a famous footballer and they might be like, yes! Yeah. Yeah. Right. Producers must have been like, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. I often think like that if you write TV, if that's kind of your job, that reality TV is possibly the because I have a thing where like when I read in my spare time I can't read magazines ever because it just feels yes, like work yeah, ever really. I can't touch it I don't want them near me because it just stresses yeah. me out and is it the same thing you're like if I watch something unscripted this is not work it's as far from work it's as it can possibly be work. and mm. it's really hard to separate yourself like even when I'm watching Rose Matafeo's show which I just think is incredible mm. but I would go that's an amazing arc oh my god Rose that was so clever <laughs> wow that's so good oh that actor he surprised me <laughs> And while you're enjoying it, it's still not, it still doesn't remind you of before you ever did anything like this for a living. And I mm. think those other shows feel like you are just having your crisps on the couch. <laughs> and it just does a little bit of you kind of going, oh, that's interesting. Oh, maybe I could do something with that. Oh, I should do something with something. Uh, you just don't start looking up the credits, kind of work at how it was made. And sometimes that can feel great to do that. But it, it, I'm sure, like yourselves, it's it's it gets rarer and rarer to find things that you totally switch off. Yeah, you know, it's escapism, isn't it? Or you just want to yeah. escape from want to escape yeah. exactly the escape pandemic, the front room, all of the stress and everything. Is it weird for you to watch Tobias Menzies in the Crown praying Prince Philip um, <laughs> for you having um, done what I you love, do to him? I think I know so many people in the Crown. Like most of those <laughs> things are just like I'm, I kind of half expect myself to turn up at some point as like. <laughs> We have your grandson, Prince Philip. We're going to see him tomorrow, you know. I don't know, some random IRA, sexy IRA person um, from the 80s. That would be amazing. Um, that's my official pitch, by the way. To yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Season five but, um, coming up. No, I think because so many of my friends are actors and stuff like that. I, like someone will always crop up in something. Um, I was even watching an old episode of like a crime. Uh, what's that? What, name a place in East London. Whitechapel. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Khadiv Kerwin, who plays Bradley in my show, popped up as a hairdresser. No, it wasn't that. It was the thing, Strike, was it? Yes. Oh, yeah, Strike. Yes. Strike. strike. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. And he turned into like a stylist on a fashion shoot or something. That's right, um, yeah. 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 And I was like, it's baby Khadiv. <laughs> so it doesn't, that part doesn't, I, because I yeah. know to buy a friend now, it's more like, yeah, you get to see people who, who I know in it. Um, it's more weird when you see people on the street and you think they're another actor and then it just goes into your place of well-known in your head and you're like, oh no, that's my nurse at the, my local GP. And you're like, oh, she's in the medical centre. Um, so yeah, so that can be a bit more throwing. Like, why do you remember someone or why do you know someone it gets a bit mm. skewed between reality, mm. TV, making TV, you being other characters and there's characters in your actual daily life and stuff like that that part gets a bit weird in your head sometimes so i mean looking forward like at stuff that's coming out this year this is our this is this week's listener question which is literally kind of based off a conversation we had last week which was we're halfway through the year you know what are the things between now and the end of the year that we're most looking forward to either starting or coming back like for you are is that almost like a work exercise is it like is it like i'm going to take notes i'm going to look at this and examine the craft and stuff or is there stuff you know where for the storytelling for the escapism that you just want to get lost in is it crime is that it going is, to be the thing it is crime and that's why i do so much of it myself as you saw from the board but i'll get to the big working my way up um it is it is anything with a plot like 
any sort of whodunit. Mm. I just love, mm. kind of like Terry with you, Special Victims Unit. I think I, I still like not totally a formulaic one. I like more of a sort of not the brother. And my favorite thing is to ruin things for other people I'm watching with as I go along. <laughs> like 10 minutes into Tenet, I was like, oh, they're going back in time. It's going to be a time scoop. And I was like, yeah, that's what it is. And then I said, but please just don't. No, it's not this time. I was like, yeah, just, I can already tell that's, like, so that's what I do the whole way through I bet you now and do you know why because that's um, or I do this as like oh do you know why that actor is actually a really big deal and there's no way they would have been able to cast him <laughs> or get his career if he's not going to do something bad down the line something interesting that's my bet like you not yeah 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 also her I know for a fact um, that she wouldn't have uh, taken on something unless like if she got to sort of cry in it or something like that you know? she's going to be doing something I bet she's going to be another victim <laughs> straight out of drama school she's going to be gone soon you know, this stuff like that. I kind of, um, so I can ruin, I love working out stuff and, and telling myself I was clever. Like people who shout at kind of who wants to be a millionaire, the answers or mastermind or whatever. That's me with, with crime dramas. So how were you with the last season of Line of Duty? Like what, what was your H-ometer telling you? My H-ometer. I was, I think like, like the thing is, it's really hard when you're watching something, knowing that someone put so much into it and filmed it during a pandemic. So anyone who did anything in the last year and a half, the fact that you had anything to present and that it was entertaining, <laughs> like hats off to you without a doubt. And I think what, from from my perspective, what Jed might have been trying to do was potentially to go almost like the opposite of that, 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 that one, like you said, Terry, where it's like, yeah, crimes often don't get sorted yeah. and there's no nice feeling. And that's the problem. Like it was sort of an anti-government um, or anti kind of the um, corruption, like people trying to fight it. It's not. That's we have to do more, basically, rather than let people off the hook and feeling great. He treated it like more like what's really happening in the world rather than maybe um, what's happening in the show where you get yeah. that satisfied feeling. Um, I would have loved um, uh, uh, Anna... And Maxwell, Maxwell Martin. Martin. Oh, she's yeah. so and good in that. Surprisingly evil. I just wanted her to yes. come in and go, Lastly, yes. yes, did a little like, Whoa! Um, but yeah, it kept me so entertained. I love it. Is it is so discombobulating watching her in that, having sort of binge watched Motherland like the week before. <laughs> That's why she's so angry and stressed. She just dropped the kids off. Boyd was always saying that it's actually the same character. She's really together at work and then her personal mm. life is a complete shit show. That's so true. Mm. That is really funny when you have, like when that happens with actors. I remember when I was in The Fall, I used to get so many tweets going, Jamie Dornan's going to kill Ashley <laughs> Bean. Oh, yes. Right out of 10 cats now. Or, oh my God, the NHS is Ashley B working overtime in that hospital. You know, <laughs> like all those kind of like, This is what she does on the side when she's not doing stand-up. <laughs> I love the fact that you're in The Fall. That was such a great... Right. Yeah. I remember the screening of it yeah. and, and, you, and you suddenly popping up. So for some reason, I don't remember people knowing that you were going to be in it. You kind of suddenly, it was quite a surprise, I felt anyway at the time. And there you yeah, were. I think in my head, I didn't say, I've always seen myself as an actor and a, and a stand up. But I suppose for some people, if you've only known me on panel shows, you're like, what? Yeah. And some people said, is Jason Manford going to come around like sweeping? <laughs> sweeping the, the hospital in the background and it made me really laugh <laughs> it's so, funny. Like, get on with your job but it is like well, you can't help but why people know you yeah. uh, and it's been on Netflix before isn't it my mum only discovered it like about a month ago she was like oh I'm watching this incredible show on Netflix it's this serial killer thing I'm loving it it's brilliant and all these great people are in I was like what show I couldn't work out what it was for ages and then it ended yeah. up being the fall which was on BBC two five six seven years ago yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny with things like Netflix when they buy shows in and people discover stuff years yeah. later. 
that's a new thing that tends to happen as yeah. an actor. That's yeah. you might see someone in something. I was watching the old Persuasion actually, and Toby Tobias um, popped up in that, and I was like, oh, yeah. you know, that surprised me more for right. like old them, right. um, you know, yeah. or then rather. Well, the show I'm looking forward to most, in answer to our listener question, <laughs> and just to get James, so James doesn't get too annoyed that we're going off track. Lovely segue, is, boy. Thanks. Lovely segue. Which I think you're going to love because it is crime, right? It's crime. It's a who done it. It's got. It's produced by Jeb Mercurio. Saran Jones <gasps> is in it. Martin Compton is in it, and it's called Vigil. It's advertised. Yes, it's Who Done yes. It. It's Line of Duty on a submarine, basically, and it's going to be fucking brilliant. And I can't wait for that. And that, yes, that is my number one thing that I'm looking forward to. Cannot wait. When's that out, Boyd? End of August, yeah. beginning of September. And can we say Trigger Point as well on that same vibe? What's Trigger Point? Yeah, Vicky McClure, Bomb Disposal. That's, is Jed producing on that one? Excuse me, Vicky McClure, Jed Mercurio, Gunswoman, I'm in terror. <laughs> well, what do you people want? Bring on the next lockdowns, I've got a plan. Saran <laughs> Jones also in uh, the new What If, the new series of Dominic Savage's What If as well. So that's, What's uh, What If? I am, sorry, not What If. I'm getting... Now that is something I would yeah, see, Saran Jones in What If. if I am. Wow. What so if. yeah, What If is the animated What If the Other Things Happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Thanos and Iron Man and stuff. Saran Jones and Dominic Savage, and I can't emphasise this enough, have nothing to do with that series. <laughs> However, the I Am series, which is, shall we say, tonally a little bit different, uh, she is in. So, Oh, yes, like I Am Hannah, the one with Jim yeah. and Hannah. Yes, oh, absolutely that. Yes. Yes. They were really good. Um, what was I going to say? When my mother, my mother, when we did the first series, came over and uh, while we were filming and I sort of brought her to set and she was entirely bored the whole time. It was a big anticlimax. <laughs> um, but when I came home, she'd gotten a bottle of champagne and she said, well, to time's up. And I was like, that's not, that's not going <laughs> to really, really not <laughs> What is it? Oh, yeah, this way up. Time's up. Uh, so, that's yeah. good. I am serious. That'll be great. Yeah, it will be good. That was I really good. I enjoyed the first season of that. Anything else that you'd like to flag up that you're particularly excited about? Uh, other than uh, This Way Up, which comes out on Wednesday the 14th. The it does. Um, let me see what else is coming out. I'm just trying to think. See, I don't know until you guys would tell me normally. Ah, you guys I see. Find, yeah. I mean, it is yeah. our job. That's to be fair, it's our job. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited by your offerings. Yeah. See, mine probably less than mine will be a whole raft of nerdy shit that you'd never have heard of. So I will spare you the fact that I'm very excited about season two of Fate of the Winx Saga coming to Netflix <laughs> at some point later this year. Yeah. Wait, why'd you have to say it like that? Fate. <laughs> it's about fairies. It's, why? You know. Ashley's face, by the way, listeners, is yeah. a picture. Why? There's something called Fate the Winks <laughs> Saga. Winx yes, saga. with an X. Yeah. Fate the Winks Saga. That is difficult <laughs> when you've got a mild list. Fate the Winks Saga. <laughs> well, what is Fate the Winks Saga? I mean, there's a girl oh. and she's half fairy and she goes to a magical fairy school, but there's like a supernatural threat and she comes into a fairy palace and becomes a super fairy and eventually earns her wings. Spoiler. Oh, wings, not Winks. Winks, no. Yeah. Oh, no, it is. It's Winks well. Saga, W-I-N-X. No, it is. <laughs> uh, but she earns wings. The Winksness is, I think, separate. You know, there's, there was like a cartoon. There was like the Winks cartoon thing okay. like for kids. And this is like, the kids have now grown up, so they've done like a live action young adult series. Oh, so there's going to be lots of like, I didn't know you liked me. Well, I never will. Quick, we got to fly away. Like that sort of. <laughs> there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a up. lot of that. There's a lot of that in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so yes, quite quite excited about the uh, the return of that. And along those lines, Motherland Fort Salem, which Anna Maxwell Milton is not in, but features yeah. militarized witches. So that sounds quite fun as well. Mm. Finally, about time witches got their act together. Hey, <laughs> I think so. it really is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I'll get it together. <laughs> 
Now, I am aware that we've already taken up over an hour of your Friday. Uh, but before we let you go, and before we get on to news, what is your news? So you filmed the Home Alone remake, I think I'm right in saying, last year in Canada. Uh, when's that out? Well, it was supposed to be just a few old days in February last year and cut to us all having to quarantine in Canada and stuff like that. But it's well, and I remember what's interesting at the time and how the year has changed is I remember when I got the part, I was like, oh, my God, amazing. But isn't it a pity it's not going to be in the cinemas? It's on this thing Disney Plus are launching. Mm. And now that's how we're like the, the cinemas have been closed and how the pandemic has just like boosted how people and changed how people watch stuff. So the fact that it's going to, it's going to be out at Christmas um, on Disney plus, and that's kind of huge, but it was really, it was a really lovely gang of people. Dan Mazur is directing it, who create, helped um, create and direct Borat. Um, Rob Delaney is one of the leads in it, as is Ellie um, Kendrick, who plays I am Kimmy, Sh- or Kimmy, I am Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. <laughs> One of the I Am series. Yes, one of the um, more comedic ones. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that's very serious, all the stories we didn't get to see. Um, and uh, imagine it'd be just her down in the bunker in the dark side of the bunker. Um, and Archie Yates, who's a young actor who is in um, uh, the Rabbit, Jojo Rabbit, no, um, plays yeah. In it. So it's not a remake, it's sort of a, but we've, we wrapped that and um, we had a, a few shoot days like about a couple of, maybe two months ago. Um, but there's that uh, and then a few other bits and bobs that it's so boring when you're like, you're not allowed to tell anyone. But and <laughs> like, I mean, you know, when you're like, you know, you're doing well, but you're not such a big deal where people are going to go, whoa. <laughs> so you're going to feel a bit stupid saying it. Like you're like you're having people around to your house. You're like, I'm not going to tell you what dinner is, and you're like, it's not a you know secret course menu. It has some blooming like your ground. Um, that's what I sometimes feel. Is this the way you, you're actually going to break to us now? That uh, much like Kamel Nanjiani, you're going to go on an all chicken diet, and you're going to be in the next Marvel movie, and it's you know ripped. Oh my god! Did mm. you meet Kamel at all while he was over? But did you interview him, Boyd, at all? Um, no, sadly, no. I'd love to. Yeah. Next yeah. time he's back, that should be sorted. He's so great, but it, it's so funny because I've known him for years, and Emily, his wife, and like their movie is just a real bit of me, the big sick. Mm. And then when he got ripped, everyone's really uncomfortable around him. He's just all normal stand-up. He's always been handsome, but he got so ripped on like chicken and exercise from the Marvel. Thing. like he got marveled like yeah. the way Paul Rudd did as well like yeah. it's different it's like always handsome but then suddenly like oh <laughs> like like new teeth who this sort of thing <laughs> and, um, it's almost like you're like hi and you can see all of his really ripped abs through no matter what t-shirt he wears it's almost like he's gotten like a too big a boob job if it was it then the reverse you're like I can't you're not up there anymore I can't look at your face it's um but he's yeah he's, so maybe I'll do that I'll get I'll get I'll start eating chicken suddenly and then Get some. I'll just start with eating chicken suddenly and see if the yeah. job dress for yeah. the job. You, yeah, you know that'll do it. Yeah, that'll definitely work. Yeah, <laughs> and are we going to see? Do you think a second series of Living with Yourself? Because there's been no announcement either way on that one, has there? There's been no announcement. I think there's a world where who knows what might happen down the line. But I think going into it, we sort of saw it as a limited series, mm. and everyone got a lot out of it. Like Tim had had that. Um, Tim Greenberg, who wrote it, had that show in his head for about five eight years and I loved working on it so much Val and John who are the directors are also directed like Little Miss Sunshine and they're amazing but they had sort of wanted to do TV and 
And then Paul sort of wanted like a more dramatic lead role. And like I'd been auditioning for everything in America for about five years. And that was sort of like a massive break for me to do something that big. Mm. So we all got so much out of it. Um, uh, And so I I, I think it could come back at some stage, but there'd be no like need a second series hurry type of thing. It'd be like whenever it's available to go again type of thing. That was a very boldly structured show, wasn't it? Because like Mm. that complete, that switch halfway through was a life to four episodes where suddenly you, your character suddenly came into it much, became much more significant. That was, that was bold. I thought, and and kind of fantastic. Yeah, it was rare that I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't have signed up for it if I just gotten the first script, not because it wasn't brilliant, but it wouldn't have been enough for me to move to America for. And with American shows, like when you're an actor um, at your second audition, for American shows, which means you've just gone one day audition, they like you again, you have to sign up for seven years. Yeah. Wow. So you have to sign a deal before you go into audition for your second audition to your money, to your whole, no matter what happens, you have to do this job. Wow. So the fact that we could see the scripts and I saw that kind of four, five, six progression of my character and that I have something to do was a, was a massive um was a massive reason I was like oh yes please but right. that's rare you don't always get to see so sometimes you really don't know what you're signing up for wow. you could just be someone who comes and goes well the postman's here <laughs> for seven years we don't know <laughs> it's pretty scary um, yeah that's terrifying <laughs> yeah. and you're like well see you next week Ashling. okay <laughs> Fine line between uh, TV show auditions and indentured servitude. So that's um, nice. Very, very much so. Very fine line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're doing stand-up stuff. When are people going to be able to see you live? Ooh, I mean, I'm doing stand-up all the time, but I don't tend to massively promote them only because they kind of, they're selling well enough in their smaller mm. gigs. And I'm just enjoying sort of hopping onto gigs and making it creative. I think the show for really a solid two, three years has been so relentlessly big responsibility, big, you know, girl knicker sort of thing. You're and the the weight of the pressure of making the series this time with with the risk that people could get sick or um, that, you know, people were coming out of lockdown to do your show. And it was just such a, a weight all the time on your heart and your head that what if anything goes wrong or what if it's not good? Like, well, people have done that for for no reason. Yeah. There's something nice about just getting up on stage at the moment and it not being for business reasons. <laughs> just being around and just like with the audience who's just there that day. And it's a smaller gigs. I sort of get back a little bit of myself when I do them rather than immediately going, you're like, when are you going to plan a tour? I'm like, I, I don't, you don't know. You just want to get a little bit of this sort of childish play back into your creative work. And um, which definitely does, it's the the flip side of like why you want things to do well and succeed. The flip side of it is you lose a little bit of the, you definitely lose an element of joy mm. in the work because you're not as free and there's so much responsibility um, I suppose it must be like going on holiday with a kid. You really have to look after what they say. Um, but I'll, I'll find I'll find them uh, next time I go back. I'm sure wherever yeah. I left. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's what I'm enjoying with stand up at the moment. Just sort of hopping on in different places every week and seeing where I, where where my stories go. I think everyone needs to rediscover the joy a little bit after the uh, the year we've had. Yeah, um, everything was. Uh, I think um, that our lives used to be big in our own ways, but with small problems. So even like the last time we would have spoken, um, I was making a show and it was a really big deal for me, but it wasn't a big deal for anyone else. Like my, my life was quite big or you'd be like, well, I go to the BAFTAs or will I get a dress for this? Or will I get to present one? <laughs> and they're like such small problems, but in very big ways. Mm. And then suddenly it was a complete reversal where 
you're making a show but going home to have salmon in the house and there's a risk of people getting unwell every single moment mm. where you're just going home to salmon in the house but technically you're making a television show but you're having salmon in the house and it's just it was such the flip and I think we all need to find kind of things to get involved in. If your memoir in, isn't called Salmon in the House, I'll be yeah. very disappointed. Oh, God. It's yeah. going to be my first single, my, like, um, dubstep. Salmon in the house. So, yeah. Uh, but I think that, um, like, all of us, like, even the football, it's not technically important, <laughs> but it's so joyful for that mm. reason. It's yeah. not... It, it, and that's what people need. It's it's something big that's actually quite small. Mm. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I think that's what we we probably all need a little bit of at the moment. Yeah, but it's it's weird. It shows like this way up. Like I found such delight in in lovely sort of British comedies like during lockdown. So Rufus Jones's oh. Home, you know, things like that, just yeah. which were criminally cancelled. Love that show. Yeah. But mm. like watching this well, just and, and Ted Lasso as well, which comes back very, very yeah. soon, you know, shows that actually make you feel, oh, this is just wonderful. It's like a little slice of just joy that can kind of yes. take me away yeah. from all of yeah. this. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, Ted Lasso is exactly that. There's a, there's a real joyfulness to it. And that actually... Um, it surprises you in ways at moments when things could go wrong or you're you would technically normally find someone annoying other people in the show find them delightful mm. and it's quite nice when people in a scene which is what i tried to do with onya who i play in the show people actually like her people aren't going huh what are you trying to say that's not funny you're an idiot but the audience laugh that people within the scene enjoy the characters yeah I like about ted lasso as well and um, jason sudeikis's character is liked by the end mm, yeah um, People want to be in a room with them. And it's actually quite a nice, it's it's in a small way very different, I think, to what we we often see. Yeah, when you're teaching the class, those scenes, are that really comes out, yeah. how much they like, yeah. they like you. Yeah, people yeah. getting along. And I, I think yeah. people always think there needs to be a fight, but sometimes there doesn't. It's nice. It's quite nice to see people get along. Yeah, um, certainly at the moment. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I can't wait to see the last three episodes of this series. I've yeah, only same. been given the first three, but we can see them when the show lands, which is at 10 p.m. on July the 14th on Channel 4. And I believe all six episodes will be available on all four at the same time. Yes, that night as you watch them. Yeah. Yes. So do you have a preference? How should people watch it? Do you want them to watch it week by week or do you want them to watch it all uh, in one go? I'd like you to watch one to three. <laughs> Maybe four, then five and six. Okay. Um, I'd like you to watch one to three first, please. And fish, fish towards the customer. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And of course, for our American listeners, they've already watched it because it drops yeah, on Hulu. Friday. Yes. Hulu. Oh, it's Hulu. all on Hulu um, now. Series one and series two to watch. And um, so I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, uh, if you're having a tough time, I wrote it for you. And if you're Fantastic. not having a tough time, I wrote it for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was written for everyone. Uh, thank you, Ashton, so much for coming on the show. You have been an absolute delight. And also for bringing the show to us as well, because that has also been a delight. Mm, thank you oh. so much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. What a, that was really lifted me up for the day now, I have to say. That was Ashlyn B. And did anyone else have any shows that they wished to big up before the end of the year? Mm. Go on, Boyd. In answer to this, in the listener question. In answer question, yeah. to the listener question, we've taken a slightly unorthodox structure this week. Yes. Let's let's yes. pick the listener question back up. You're, and you're really looking the forward. Question. Yeah. Yes. So I mentioned Vigil, uh, The Offenders, which is the show uh, featuring Christopher Walken in Stephen Merchant's new comedy about people doing um, about offenders in Bristol on community service with Christopher Walken. I mean, fucking hell. That's, wow. that's arriving in the autumn on BBC One. Um, the Morning Show season two is, I mean, 
I just cannot wait. And uh, every day I'm checking the Apple TV screeners page advanced 17th September for, 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 for critics every day to see whether they've put any new episodes in yet. Um, succession, obviously, I won't bang on about that too much. We'll talk about, I mean, in news, the trailer dropped this week. Yes. It's phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to the Jack Reacher series because I love yes. the Jack Reacher books and I'm absolutely intrigued to see if they can possibly capture the magic of Jack Reacher. Hmm. Good shout. That's coming to Amazon. Yeah. Terry, any shows you want to big up? The only other ones I had was also Morning Show Season 2, which is easily the single show I am most excited by, by quite some way. Um, also, shout out to The Shrink Next Door and Dolly mm. Rooney, Conversations with Friends, um, oh, which yeah. I think they're saying end of the year. James, I presume you're going to be giddy AF. Always, always giddy that Sally Rooney has got something else coming out. Will it live up to the giddy heights of normal people? I couldn't say. Uh, could I mean, anything, the book's not really, as good, but, uh, so you know, probably not. But so, hey. so it doesn't bode well. Right. But, right. <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still excited. It is still exciting. It's still, it is still exciting. I very much want to see that. Uh, you guys know what I'm going to be excited about, don't you? I don't even need to say it. I feel like it's implied. Season Obviously, see season two. Yeah. <laughs> See, season two comes out the 27th of August. Very, very excited about that. No, Sex like Education that season three, which is on the 17th of September. Also excited about that. Plus Foundation, the Isaac Asimov sci-fi behemoth, uh, which is also September. Dexter reboot, we may or may not get this year. That would be nice. I, I wouldn't be at all shocked if Star Trek Discovery comes later this year. That would be good too. Um, very excited about Why the Last Man, which I think is coming to star in the autumn, which is adaptation of the comic series, which I like a lot. And then there's Motherland Fort Salem season two, which is showing in the States at the moment, but we don't have a date for it over here yet. Carnival Row season two. There's a theme here. You can tell. Uh, again, don't have a date for that either, but I think later this year. Derry Girl season three, or series three, I should say, uh, later this year as well. I'm hoping to see... The Witcher series two this year, yes, very exciting. But all of that, all of that, you know, I could name The Last Kingdom season five. I could name The Capture season two. I could name spin-off Witcher Blood Origin. I could go into you know Netflix's Sandman or the Three Body Problem also on Netflix. Even Vikings Valhalla, but none of those matter because I'm hoping, although we haven't had it confirmed, I'm hoping the end of this year we'll see the final season of The Expanse, The Expanse season six, and that will be the greatest of all days. I'm re- I, I'm really one thing I want to mention quickly um, is only murders in the building, which is this. Um, it's going to be on uh, Disney Plus, not on Disney Plus, and it's the Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez series where they um where they end up investigating a crime in their building. So it's like comedy crime thing with fucking legends because I love Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez is good as well, so I'm really looking forward to that. Another good addition. Thanks. Well, that was our kind of listener question. Obviously, as ever, if you want your listener question answered, do send it to us via Twitter, via DM, at Pilot TV Pod. Uh, let's breeze through news so this podcast doesn't take up an entire calendar day. Does anyone wish to kick something off? Boyd, I suspect you will want to wax lyrical about the Succession trailer. I mean, yeah, it was absolutely everything you want from a Succession season three trailer. Um, br- I mean, it was just a brilliant trailer for a start, just brilliantly edited. The music, when that the greatest theme tune in the history of, of television comes in and they did a kind of like a big epic, sounded like to me, remix of it. Um, fantastic. And you just have no idea how it's going to end up because there was a big, the big power struggle between mm. the father and son's son. Um, yeah, it looked amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, there was a, there was, I hear some news for you, Boyd. Here's some news for yeah. you. Kyle MacLachlan has joined yes. the cast of the Joe Exotic Limited series. Yes. Terry, this must have engaged you on some level. No, 
No, no. you're not interested in the Joe <laughs> Exotic <laughs> Limited series. Well, I was, but you know, nothing, nothing's really cut through this week, James. Nothing. It's been a challenging week. Okay. Um, it's not been a I, great week for news. Well, I've yeah. got a news. I bet you'll like Terry for Terry. I've got a Go special on. news item for Terry. Do you know what show is arriving on Sky Witness on the 30th of this month, 30th of July? What? Law and Order Organised Crime. <gasps> yes. You see, th- here's where my two worlds see? collide. My deep love of mafia and organised crime meets Law and Order. Woohoo! So in about two weeks' time, we'll be reviewing that show, hopefully. Yes. Wow. I, also, I cannot wait. I also wait. should mention... That um, uh, Empire Magazine, which me and James work on currently, has the very first look and the very first word on the Peacemaker series as part of our um, Suicide Squad big special issue. So if you are excited by Peacemaker, if you, you, if you aren't yet, I think you will be uh, after you've seen Suicide Squad. And yes, yeah, so John Cena mm. and James Gunn both uh, talked to Empire about why he got his own show. And the issue is on sale in news agents now. Indeed. We have a first look at John Cena as Peacemaker in the series. It's an eight-part HBO series. Uh, and it is a character that James Gunn describes as a piece of shit. And John Cena himself describes <laughs> as a bro-y douchebag. So, uh, you know, that's, that's quite the recommendation for you. <laughs> What else has happened this week? Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh got cast in the role, Terry. That's what I was just going to say. Is this In James Land... Oh, go, no, go, on, go on, Terry. Carry on. In James Land, uh, in Witcher, mm. in Witcher mythology, the Witcher mythology has now taken in Michelle Yeoh, who is incredible in absolutely everything she does. This has actually pe- slightly piqued my interest in The Witcher. Um, apart from I remembered the experience of watching the first ever episode and that kind of haunts me still to this day. But if anything's going to get me to watch The Witcher, it is probably Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> and who's she playing, Terry? She's playing Cyan. <laughs> Cyan, the last member of the nomadic tribe of sword elves. Uh, yes, indeed. Michelle Yeoh then in The Witcher Blood Origin. Very exciting. Uh, Boyd, what was your other news that you were going to share with the us? The other trailer that dropped this week that uh, I was really excited about was Andrew Haig's series for the BBC, The North Water, which is a which is a period whaling thriller with <laughs> Colin Farrell, Jack O'Connell, Stephen Graham, Tom Courtney and Peter Mullen. Absolutely incredible cast and it looked um, spectacular. I do love a bit of whaling. I think that's broadly speaking it for news, isn't it? There wasn't anything massively exciting. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think that'll do. All right. Well, this show is already running very, very long, <laughs> so let's skip on with news and go straight into the review section, handily skipping over the fact that neither one of you have managed to pull me up for breaking my promise and not watching the uh, Euros uh, semi-final last week. So, I, I mean, are we saying that I should now watch the final to make you up have for to it? Watch the Terry final. didn't watch Peaky Blinders, so I think, you know, it's all, well, it's all, all uh, fair. Uh, 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 to be fair, I wanted to have moral superiority over you, so um, I put episode no. one on. I put episode one on yesterday, but unfortunately, Ooh. after the first fifteen minutes, my son screamed the house down for another two hours. So I only watched. Well, I technically watched the whole thing, but I could only hear the first fourteen minutes. So, did you like the first fourteen minutes? I mean, it was fine. It's the first episode. (laughs) I think you need to watch it again from the beginning. You will love it. Okay. I'll go back to the beginning. But you've, I mean, come on, James. It's the fucking final. Yeah. 
You have to watch it. You have to watch it. It, it is the final. Yes, it can be said. What um, else are you going to be doing, James, on Sunday I night? Mean, what the fuck got, are you doing on Sunday night? I've still got two episodes important. of the last series of Peaky Blinders to watch. Oh, shut up. You know, there's essential Just do essential it for your things. fans. Your fans want to know. Look at, on Twitter, there's a vast swathe of James Dyer obsessives who want you to watch the football just to see what it's like for you and to embrace this this historic moment that like pretty much most of the country is going to be watching i mean i quite enjoyed being part of the empire whatsapp group even though i was on a train watching fear street and on netflix at the time um on a train during the semi-final where listening to terry's commentary so there's a part of me that would quite like maybe to join that experience so possibly i will I mean, people will know because, frankly, by the time they hear this show, we will already have had the final. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Indeed. Okay, I will try yeah. and give it a watch on Sunday. We will see what live happens Live tweet there. it. Live tweet the whole fucking game. <laughs> live tweet it. My incisive sporting commentary <laughs> on this game, the rules of which I'm not even clear on. I couldn't even, hand on heart, tell you how many people are on each side of a football team. Oh, is it that's lovely. 11? I love that. Is it 11? That, that, is it 11? It is 11. It is 11. It is 11. Yeah. Okay. Is 11, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I did know. Who knew? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's move on to the reviews. First up this week, we have Series 2 of War of the Worlds, formerly of FX, now of Star on Disney+. And this has already aired in France and is in progress in the US. But it lands now in the UK and it picks up from the end of Series 1, where having attacked the Earth with an army of evil Boston Dynamics dog robots, the aliens have laid waste to humanity and only Gabriel Byrne, Daisy Edgar Jones and a ragtag group of survivors are still around to stop them. Boyd. Like the aliens did with London, did this show set your world on fire? Um, no. Um, my experience of war, this War of the Worlds is that I watched the first, I think, three episodes um, when it aired a couple of years ago, and I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was very well made, technically. Um, I thought it was interesting that it took a kind of, we're going to do it in the present day, and... Um, do it in a kind of as almost as realist a style as we can, kind of make, mm. you know, what would what would happen if alien invasion happens, but we're doing it like, you know, we're making, I don't know, something, some bit of social realism almost, um, with, with you know, very convincing um, uh, direction and acting and everything, very naturalistic. But I had absolutely very little compulsion to carry on watching it after about those two or three episodes. So I didn't finish, I have to say. So luckily, season two starts with a quite comprehensive um, catch-up uh, over for about five minutes, in which we, uh, which it tells you what happened in in the in, in the epic first season, and and I felt the same thing really. That it's a show I admire for its technical achievements. And everyone's very naturalistic in their performances, and it's very well directed. Um, and I kind of believed it, you know. Those these these little funny those little robot doggy type things are do exist now, don't they? Like they actually, in, yeah. You know, there are these terrifying little things running around <laughs> in in America, etc. Um, so even though they are scary, slightly undermined by the fact that as time has worn on since they first arrived in season one, they're actually existing now. So I don't know. It's, so, somehow they existed then. And maybe they there, but it somehow makes it slightly less powerful. Um, it's kind of War of the Worlds. Like, if you compare it to, say, the Spielberg film, which I love, I think Spielberg film was a really underrated. I mean, maybe it's not even underrated anymore, but at the time it felt it was a bit of an underrated um, entry in his in his oeuvre, if I can use that word. But, you know, in fact, the famous the tripod, the huge, massive, giant tripod attack that is in, in, in is the big set piece in that film mm. is so spectacular and 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 thrilling and visually stunning this almost like avoids 
those elements like the there's you know and no big huge the aliens are kind of you know look like humans at this stage so it's kind of like a very downbeat version of this story which is, it is admirable, which is admirable on level but you know I, I can't get excited about it so i watched this episode dutifully and halfway through i was checking my watch I have to say, I think Gabriel Byrne is almost comically downbeat in his performance. You know, he's always a bit like lugubrious and Gabriel Byrne, you know, and he's like, oh, he's like, oh, just, you know, being being Gabriel Byrne, fine. Um, Daisy Edgar Jones just kind of wasted a bit. Um, the, every, the weird French co-production means there's still like loads of French people in it for what I don't know why particularly yeah, huge I mean, like, swaths of French huge language swaths sections of French language. Yeah. nothing against the French I love the French but it just feels <laughs> random that it's set in London almost entirely and yet there are these moments where French people pop in to have a to have their say I just I just I just don't I, I'm you I know for a fact that you watched it all already this second season <laughs> it's been commissioned for a third season already apparently I read that that surprises right? I'm me I can't get what is so interesting about this show it doesn't interest me and I it's I should love this stuff I love science fiction realist science fiction very well made acted but I think it's too and I can accept slowness it's just I just don't I think it's just too downbeat I don't, yeah. So I, I, I can't imagine myself carrying on watching it. I apologise. Yeah, it, it is all of those things. It's very, very joyless and bits of glacial as well. But weirdly, there's something about it I really liked. I, I the, the first season I watched in a night. Like I binge watched the whole thing throughout the night. I was wow. It was, it was weird. Early lockdown. You're the only person it? in the world um, who's done that. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's something about that kind of like apocalyptic wasteland. It's why I like Walking Dead. Like I like that apocalyptic feel and seeing them wandering through London. I think the first season worked really well because those dog things, the robots, were really fucking terrifying. Like it was, they really did a good job of demonising those creatures and making them feel like a real threat. And honestly, if, if I had a criticism of season two, I think it's mainly that that threat feels slightly lost and these sort of like you know biological alien threat takes over and becomes a more a more sort of salient this time around um they do some interesting things with the story which i think will polarize people in this second season it also feels like it ends quite definitively so i'm surprised that this got renewed for a third season because i actually didn't like having finished this one i thought oh that's the story concluded um so i'm interested to see where they go with a third season i don't think this is as good as the first series at all um but i did like it i enjoyed watching it uh i I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, fun's probably not the word because, as you say, it's very downbeat and depressing. But uh, I, I was quite sucked into their vision of this dystopian future, uh, and I thought they made some some fun choices. But yes, I mean, Gabriel Byrne takes moping to entirely new levels uh, mm. at various points. But kind in the of show, everyone's in this moping, series. really. Everyone's moping. There's a, a lot bit. of moping. There is Too a much great moping. deal of moping. Yes, but then you know, to be fair, they've got a lot to mope about. So, Terry, what did you make of this? Did you did you enjoy it? Did you like your your dog robots? So I think I watched episode one of season one because we watched this and that terrible, dreadful BBC attempt. Um, Obviously, I didn't watch the rest. And here's my problem, James. So you're like, oh, I like their apocalyptic future. (laughs) I don't want an apocalyptic hellscape when we live in In a (laughs) apocalyptic hellscape. It's not so much the future as our very existence. So... I'm with Boyd. It's such a downer. Like, I did watch this after this way up. It probably wasn't the best way around to do it because I had so much fun and it was just still so much joy. And then you go into this and it's like, fuck me, it's hard work. And admire is an absolutely brilliant way to describe this because 
The cinematography is incredible. The sound design, there's in the opening scene, there's the way sound is used in that. It's so brilliantly done. And you, you can't really fault any of it. There's nothing bad about it. It's really well done. It's really slick. It's actually a little bit pacier, I feel like, this opener than the last opener. Um, and I'm a massive Gabriel Byrne fan. You know, don't get me started on fucking Stigmata. But <laughs> this, for me, just I, I, I just did not have a nice time and I was wanting it to end. And uh, it's just not the vibe for me at all. Um no, thank. Yeah, well, you're right. But you all did it, very well. The sl- I, I was wrong about the slowness. It's not so much as it's slow. It's just like it's not something. Yeah, it's not something you want to spend a lot of time with, even though it's so well done because of that. Yeah, that's no. the, that's the thing. It's not. It isn't particularly slow. That I, I, I'm going to correct myself with that. It is. It's quite slow. Like it takes well, its time going places. But yeah. for me, it's it's not so much about the plot. It's the setting. Like I I was very convinced by its sense of place, and it sucked oh, yeah. me in. And I quite liked spending time there. And I think it's that whole thing where you know where people talk. About about escapism they talk about you know you have escapism where you want to see something really happy to take you out of whatever misery you're in or you like the which i always think is more your thing terry the other form of escapism where life shit but let's watch this really fucking let's watch let's put scum on you know because it's even more depressing and then you know relatively speaking i feel fine and i think this is it we live in an apocalyptic hellscape but at least there aren't robot dogs literally gunning us down in the streets therefore (laughs) you look you come back to the lockdown you're like oh you know what everything's fine but when, but I, but yeah, I agree with you. But you know, I I liked watching Scum as an adult when I lived in a flat that I could afford to pay for and and had quite a nice life. Um, as things have been very challenging over the last year, I take my joy where I can find it, and where I need it right now is in my telly. And this, you you know, I enjoy a a depress the fuck out of me good thirty minutes in front of the box. But I found this really like proper proper downer proper downer and you know the, the human element what it says about hum- humanity and human beings and i just thought i don't even want to fucking open that door at this point jesus christ starting an existential crisis it's surprisingly bleak in some of the choices it makes as well like certainly i remember there's a really sort of callous off-handed killing of children in the first season which is really really tough to watch uh yeah it's not joyous no, and I think no. I also think like you know we you know we watched the 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 prison drama didn't we Time and like that was mm. obviously you can't get much worse but actually funny enough this is weirdly more downbeat <laughs> and miserable <laughs> than that and that would say in a maximum security prison of someone life ring ruined as we as we as we were watching but it's weird how because this is science fiction and yeah. I don't know there's something about it that's more shocking that it's so depressing and bleak. Mm. Well, if that sounds like uh, a day at the races to you, then you can watch <laughs> War of the Worlds on Star and Disney Plus from Friday, July the 16th. Next up, a slight change in tone as we have Schmigadoon, uh, which sees Keegan Michael Key and Cecily Strong as a couple going through a rough patch who go on a relationship rejuvenating hike, only to wind up in the magical town of Schmigadoon, which is a town ripped straight out of a 1950s musical where everyone sings and dances with alarming regularity uh and of course while the town is terribly welcoming it is far less accommodating when you actually want to leave isn't that right boyd this is right this is a this is interesting so you know it's 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 a pastiche of musicals um produced by people who clearly love musicals um it's a lord michaels production the 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 saturday night live impresario um it's directed by barry sonnenfeld um 
and it's stars Alan Cumming, people like that, Fred Armisen, and Christian Chenoweth, and um, a lot of people who who have been in musicals of one kind or another. I'm sure Martin Short pops up, of course, my let my hero. Um, there's a kind of running joke that Keegan Michael Key's character doesn't like musicals, and he's being forced to live in this world of musicals where people break out into song and dance every five or ten minutes, and he finds it really exhausting. Fair enough, and I fully identified with this character because I don't like musicals either, um, and I, I, I've considered myself a complete imbecile for the fact that I don't really like musicals. I, you know, there's one or two that I do like. Um, Xanadu the musical is brilliant. That I saw on Broadway once. Um, and, you know, like West Side Story and, and, and maybe, you know, one or two others. But I just can't, generally, it's not a genre that I can deal with particularly. And I found this excruciating in the extreme. <laughs> so um, I just found it, I, I actually found, if its intention was to make it quite claustrophobic that you're thrusting this couple who are trying to just about cling on to their coupledom because they have issues, particularly, you know, the fact that he's clearly not in love as much in love with her as she is with him, um, a strong character. Um, and you then thrust them into this world where it's nonstop singing and dancing um, and, you, and, that, and you're supposed to think that's quite claustrophobic. Then, oh boy, I felt, found it claustrophobic because how many times do, do I need to another scene where everyone's breaking out in song and dance in this area, in this set, that by the way, they keep reusing. I mean, fucking hell, it's Apple TV. Give them some more money. Give them some more sets. <laughs> I was very relieved when they went into the woods in a scene in episode two. I watched two episodes just to check how excruciating I found it. And um, uh, Alan Cumming has this big scene, singing scene episode that's at least in a wood kind of area, in the woods, so to speak. But oh my God, I found it so repetitive and irritating and the song so uninspiring and boring and not funny. And I actually thought, I thought that, I thought Cecily Strong uh, as the main, she was great. Like she did very well, coped very well with everything thrown at her. Keegan-Michael Key, I thought, I felt like, I almost felt his pain. Like I felt like he was being forced to say part in this show a bit. I have no idea if that's true. Um, but it just, I, 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 and it's Apple TV Plus, and I, I wrote a thing in Empire, funnily enough, in the, 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 um, about you know picking out some of the big things that Apple TV Plus, why it's come so kind of brilliant after a slow start. You know, the idea of the article was it's become you know with all the show, the morning show, and all these others. I didn't put C in there, sorry, <laughs> sorry. But you know, there's twat. loads of great stuff on it. But funnily enough. What with that one the other week um, about the aerobics in the 70s one and physical. this one. Physical, thank you. I'm now thinking that maybe Apple TV Plus's USP is they're very bold and daring and they're commissioning projects that are different. There's nothing like this. Although, funnily enough, the one thing that is a bit like is WandaVision. Because you think WandaVision was about essentially a couple trapped in a sitcom world, a, world, a, a TV genre. This is like a couple trapped in a musicals world. So, But where, um, where WandaVision had the wit and brilliance to make that still interesting and it worked even though it was a bit weird to be have to watch essentially like a 50s or 60s sitcom almost play out in half an hour this is painful and difficult for what it, at least it was for me so it just didn't work and i and i think maybe if you like musicals you you you'll be entertained in music but i didn't think it was funny i didn't think it was um i thought it was irritating and um a huge waste of talent and while I, again i admire the fact that apple tv plus commissioned it although part of me thinks it's a lord michael's passion project that he's probably wanted to do for about 30 years <laughs> that no one else would give them the fucking money to do because it is obviously going to be painful. Um, I couldn't bear it. Because on the surface, it looks like exactly what you want, isn't it? It looks like, you know, that Apple have put this in with Trying and Ted Lasso as kind of like another sort of feel-good one to lift yeah. people out of their existential funks at the moment. But I guess it does depend quite heavily on your feelings towards this kind of musical venture. I'm a big fan of Christian Chenoweth. I'm very excited to see her in this as a sort of evil uh, vicar's wife. Um, but... 
I mean, I'm not a f- fan of this kind of musical. When it comes down to musicals, I like Les Mis and what Moana. I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not massively into the genre. I mean, I like some of them. Don't get me wrong. But like this, this kind of musical does leave me a little bit cold. I was not having the most fun ever. I, the most fun I had actually watching this was imagining Terry's face as she was watching it. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated, Terry, to hear what you made of this show. So I'm kind of glad we've ended up here because I read some reviews of this from the States. Yeah. And there, we all know what American people can be like. But there were some absolute <laughs> raves about <laughs> this. Like, off the scale. And I just don't think it works at all. I found it so annoying. Like, every time somebody spoke, I just wanted to, like, smash something, which is, you know, quite troubling when you're trying to watch a TV show. And it's, I get it, right? It's the juxtaposition and the tension between this kind of golden age studio musicals and all the cheer and all the purity and the apple pineness of it and, and modern day cynicism and snark that we are more used to seeing on, on SNL. And, oh, wouldn't it be funny if those two worlds collided? No, as it turns out, it isn't funny. And that's like the big problem is it's not even, I was like, oh, the idea is kind of, you know, bold and, and could be interesting. But the problem is like, and let's, as you just pointed out, the amazing cast, I mean, everybody and anybody from mm-hmm. theatre and from musicals, um, as you said, Christine Chenoweth, Fred Armisen, Martin Shaw as a fucking leprechaun. Um, but, you know, Alan Cummings is in there. And what is Alan Cummings' name? Mayor Menlove. Mm, subtle. I mean, yeah. come on. So, A, there was, I didn't find any chemistry at all between Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key. No. I just thought the tone didn't work because the writing wasn't funny. So, you know, there'd be a scene and something ridiculous and schmaltzy and, and warm-hearted would happen and uh, Cecily Strong would say something snarky. And, but they just, the, the lines weren't that funny at all and i'm like what okay this is clearly meant to be a pastiche or a satire but are we satiring modern day snobbery and cynicism or the the musicals and their purity and their ridiculous like are we meant to like musicals or dislike musicals or are we meant to like hate modern life or does it not matter i don't know it just didn't and i actually watched the first episode and then the last episode Um, which I thought, you know what? I'm not going to watch all of these, but like Boyd, I want to watch a second episode to make sure. And they, I, I just, honestly, I just found it unbearable <laughs> to watch. Unbearable. I found it really hard to get to the end. I just don't, I just don't think it works at all. No, no. I know what you mean. And I found like, Keegan Michael Key's character comes along as just a bit of a bell end when I was watching it. And on the one hand, I'm finding and the show quite irritating. And depressing, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. And she, yeah. it's like, like, most cliches you're a sad pathetic mm. woman who he he's giving you the vibes that he's not really that into you but you're kind of blind to it and he's a bit of a you know can't be bothered douchebag it's like and while he's kind of rolling his eyes at all the musical stuff as indeed are we uh i didn't really warm to him at any point so no because be it gets watching. so matter because he's rolling his eyes at that and then we're rolling our eyes at him yeah. do you know what i mean mm, yeah. like 
but and also everybody else you don't root for him you don't go oh yeah look at that you know that ridiculous sense of of artifice and superficiality that existed in that doesn't kind of do anything interesting in in those kind of tropes like you know what was what was underneath the kind of golden age of studio musicals the darkness lurking within no it just it kind of takes the tropes lifts them up and puts them back down again well schmigadoon lands on apple i want to say this friday is that right boyd Yes. Apple, then Apple TV Plus on Friday. Uh, And finally this week, we have This Way Up, a show you've already heard a great deal about. Uh, Ashlyn B, of course, stars as Anya, who, when we pick up with her a few months after Series 1, is trying to navigate a new relationship, a new job opportunity, and the impending nuptials of her sister Shona. Terry... What did you make of this? Right, so I feel like I've got to kind of correct the record a little bit. So when we reviewed season one, I remember Boyd kind of raved about this show and I remember really liking it, but I remember talking about how not all of it landed, like I wasn't sure all of it worked. And I watched a few more episodes and then I kind of uh, left it. And I love Ashton B and I love Sharon Horgan and, and this is right up my street. And I don't know what it was that didn't fully 100% land. And then I watched the first episode and I just fucking loved it. And I was like, did I massively spoon it? Like, first time around. And guys, I hate to break it to you. I think I spooned it a bit the first time around. (laughs) You definitely did. I wasn't... And if you remember, like I was, I said how much I liked it and all of that. I, I, it wasn't overly negative at all, but there was something, there was a note of caution I had about it. And I've gone back and revisited. I definitely feel like this season two, the, the episodes we've seen are stronger for me than one. It definitely feels like a step up and an evolution. But I don't know if that has given it more context. I don't know what it is, but I found this really really interesting and oh my god is it funny um so just and if you haven't watched season one um uh, i'm gonna do a little recap now but please skip this if you don't want to know what happened in season one but you kind of have to set it up to talk about season two so she was on your teacher's english to foreign students in series one we met her as she was checking out rehab the whole riff was she was making it sound like she was checking out of a hotel um, after she'd had a nervous breakdown, she then started tutoring a boy, Etienne, and fell for his um, single dad, played, as we talked about earlier, by Tobias Menzies. So she, Ashling produced this with Sharon Horgan, who also plays her sister in this. And she has a boyfriend called Vish, played by Asif Mandvi. And at the end of season one, they got engaged. So where it picks up, oh, and she also then kissed a colleague called charlotte so th- this and we and i kind of hinted at this in our interview with ashling is i what i found really fascinating about this is season one arguably had a more dramatic setup because she clearly had a breakdown and she clearly had to check in somewhere and it was about kind of navigating from a rock bottom if if that's the language we want to use to some kind of survival and, and next step and where this picks up is she definitely has chosen survival. She's chosen that she wants to live. And what does that normality look like? Almost like the bit in between. And so for me, it's got loads more nuance and loads more um, 
maybe relatability, but it's also a ground that I just don't think is is gone over that much in telly because, you know, you have the breakdown moment or you have the, you know, immediate run up to that. But actually the kind of, uh, Ashley was saying earlier, the peace bit, the bit afterwards mm. when life carries on and what does that look like? I think is such fertile ground. And this season, which was made during the pandemic, there's so much kind of sticking to it around loneliness and vulnerability, which is really interesting. But it is never not unrelentingly hilarious. I mean, the gag rate is ridiculous. And a lot of that comes from the relationship between the two sisters. I mean, there's a scene in the first episode with a drum and some (laughs) Irish singing. That is one of the most natural comedy scenes I've seen two people play. And there's a bit where Sharon Horgan's laughing. And I was like, that just looks like you've walked in on, on two real sisters. Their chemistry is insane. And actually, that's the you know relationship of the show. There's these romantic things happening for both of them. But that, that sisterhood, and that's where lots of the actually most touching, but, but more importantly, maybe the most funny material comes from just the observations right are so bang on the money so there's a bit in season one where Sharon Hogan says oh oh I forgot to tell you I'm thinking of getting a fringe and she immediately goes why what's up are you okay and it's this brilliantly observed thing which if you are a woman who has at some point in her life misguidedly got a fringe we know what that's shorthand for the number of times (laughs) I've cut my own fringe usually days before a massive nervous breakdown it is this brilliant shorthand that we just know and instead of and this is her style for me which is instead of planting a big red flag going something bad's happening over here and and making it kind of melodramatic and really serious and really austere her way into somebody starting to kind of have this crisis in their own life is her talking about having a friend. Like it's just, I know it sounds stupid, but it's that kind of observational detail that makes this so realistic. It's the shorthand is incredible. So I, I absolutely love this. I, like I say, their chemistry is amazing. You're kind of into the romantic stuff happening around which is, again, so brilliantly realistic. There's a sex scene in episode one, which is so awkward because it was just, it was like cringe, but it was so realistic and you so root for her. She is so brilliant. It's like she was saying earlier about not being a train wreck. This character is loving and funny and, you know, she's just somebody you really, really, really love spending time with, kind of the opposite to War of the Worlds. You spend... (laughs) 30 minutes in her company and you want to spend 30 more minutes. You, you feel lucky to be spending that time with her. Um, so I think this is amazing. I can't wait to watch the rest. And I mean, we are so lucky. We say this a lot, but the, the British comedy we have been reviewing on this show over the last six months, especially... It's just been exceptional. And and I raved about motherhood and motherhood, definitely not about motherhood, (laughs) motherland and about feel good. And this for me, this way absolutely hits the same heights as, as those shows. And I just think the way she deals with sadness and, you know, hilarity as being two parts of the same thing, that all of these things can be true of people at once. That reminded me of Feel Good, where Mae Martin moves so beautifully between, you know, being genuinely hilarious and and genuinely sad because some of the 
funniest people are also people who deal with sadness occasionally. The way she blends all that stuff together and still manages to make it touching and emotional and full of heart, but also really, 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 really funny, I just think is is genius. Yeah, it's... I agree. I think it is. I mean, I love series one, as you said, but I think it is. It is. It is even better. And I think what I've. I mean, she writes the whole thing on her own, as she as she made clear, um, and finds it quite difficult and challenging. But somehow, every scene. What I found incredible. I suddenly realised halfway through watching these the three episodes that we've been given is in almost every scene from the very first scene in in, in this in this second series where they're in this um like sauna together this her and sharon her and her sister and they're like the heat is ridiculous and they're talking about what the, what's going on in their lives there's about three or four things going on in every single scene so she kind of creates this this uh, this texture where um she establishes that there are interrelationships so like for example when we see Sh- sharon Hogan's character shown her at work she's antagonist there's there's the secretary character who's antagonistic towards uh, a colleague and she also has to deal she's also dealing with um, her sister and she's dealing with the fact that she's got this is is there or isn't anything to this new relationship with the woman um, going on in life because she's now she's she's going to be married soon to her, her fiance and they're moving to the, move to this lavish massive house and there's like about five things going on in those scenes in, and and just and that feels so real. Like in, in, there's a scene where she's doing, um, she's she's working out with a flatmate played by Kadif Kirwan again, and she's also on the phone to um, her sister. And again, he's he's having a go at for things. The sister's having a go at for other things. She's dealing with the one. She's trying to do the, the exercises, and she's trying to speak to them doing FaceTime on her phone. It's like so densely packed. And I've read some reviews that I'm glad you. So, picked up on how funny it is because i've read people banging on about you know oh it's part of the whole is it, comedy so miserable now going back to fleabag and you know and i'm like first of all fleabag was fucking hilarious every single scene was brilliantly funny even when really dark things were going on and this it's the same with this every single scene there's something funny going on even in so th- we build up and i think she's she uh, uh ashley talked about how the first three episodes are and that, and i completely get that are like a, an entity because it builds up to the fact that she's had her issues and she, particularly with loneliness and for the first for most of the first three episodes you think oh it's all it's, she's okay she's fine she's kind of fine because things are going on with all the characters and with her and she's in she's in a relationship with the guy um who she was after in, in the first series Think things are fine and then at the end of episode three and i won't spoil it but then you're reminded of what's going on in her mind, and there's a there's a um, there's a kind of sequence where um, she's doing all these different things to kind of like give herself stuff to do. She starts cleaning the flat, and you know, fiddling with food, and, and she, you see her lying down on the sofa, and she wakes up on the sofa, and then she goes out for this bike ride, and it's like that. Suddenly, is a brilliant way of showing reminding you that there's stuff going on in her mind that she can't deal with this loneliness issue even though she's got her sister who loves her this guy who's falling in love with her she's got these people in the class where she teaches who really like her she's got a new business that she's trying to start all these things her life is full with people who really like and love her and yet she still has this loneliness thing that's going on and it's so well done and yet brilliantly funny at the same time it is fantastic. Yeah, I know. I think it's. I think it's both funny and profound and sad and heartbreaking. And it's all these things are all at the same time. And you know, I don't like comedy for comedy's sake. When stuff's like just funny, funny, silly, funny all the time. For me, like th- this is my favourite type of comedy. I hate like the sad com label that people kind of give these mm. things. It's just life. This is life, people. This is what it's like. And I like that she uses humour to deal with tragic situations and depression and all of these things. And it's funny and it's true and it resonates. And it has a whole sort of 
texture that covers the breadth of human emotion and i just all of those things make this really work for me like when it's funny i find it really funny and when it's profound i find that really touching as well like i said i watched nine fucking episodes of this yesterday i just couldn't stop watching it um i I think it's absolutely brilliant i really do i I love it to bits i can't wait to watch the last three uh i I don't Mm. imagine channel 40 can give them to us uh but they will obviously be available on the 14th so we can watch them then but uh it's so good and you're right like the core of this like it's not the romance with tobias men's it's the core of this is a relationship between those two sisters and i know i know that ashton drew on her relationship with her own sister and the kind of conversation she has with her but the rhythm the patter between those two feels a hundred percent like sibling dialogue well it's also yeah it's also based on her actual real life friendship yes. with sean organ who who she met like i think about 10 mm, years ago now indeed, and instantly she, bonded um, with it was uh, yeah. Dead Boss. They met dead on boss. Dead Boss. Yeah, it was Dead yeah. Boss, yeah. And I've seen them together IRL. I've seen them together in real life and yeah. they are exactly like that. So it's like a it's like a thing where she's touch, touching on the... And if, I don't know if she was on... No, I was going to mention this to her, but I didn't have time, we didn't have time in the end. She was on um, Sunday Brunch last week talking about relationship with Sharon and she got she started welling up about it because she's so important to her. And how, so that yeah. was, that, she, she has got kind of two sisterly relationships, yeah, yeah. which she brilliantly and- uses. And it's lovely because it, it really comes across and it really enriches yeah. this show as well. This is a show where the B-plot is Sharon Horgan having a, a, a getting into a relationship or not maybe with a woman, clearly for the first yeah. time in her life, while she's going to about to get married to her husband. And, and like that's just a B-plot. That, and I, that, I mean, that's how fantastic this show is. It's very, very good indeed. And This Way Up, Series 2 drops on Channel 4 at 10pm. On July the 14th, or I should say the first episode airs on Channel 4 at 10pm at July 14th, and the whole lot drops on all four at the same time. And it's also available on Hulu if you are in the States. Very quickly, Boyd, what else is on this week? We have got Whiskey Cavalier drops on Alibi on the 14th. That was actually the show that Lauren Cohen left The Walking Dead to do, and then it got cancelled and she came back to The Walking Dead. It has also been cancelled, so, I mean, watch it or not, it's entirely up to you. Um... What else have we got, Spoidy? Um, Channel 5's got another um, Stripped Across the Week four-parter starting tonight, Monday, Lie With Me, um, which I watched a bit of and actually looks really promising. It stars Charlie Brooks, mm-hmm. um, who is in EastEnders, going back to EastEnders, in fact, as a woman looking to revive her marriage to an Australian guy and they go to Australia and then they hire a nanny and things get uh, dark. Um, but it's they do- Janine Butcher. Janine Butcher, yeah. Janine Butcher. In, oh and my in, god! Yeah, you're going to love it, and I'm slightly annoyed with myself that I didn't force us to review this because I think you would, <laughs> you will love it. Yeah, even though it's fucking War of the Worlds. And on I a mean, similar note, on a similar note, we should also probably review series two of Baptiste, which starts on Sunday, which is mm. the <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited yeah. for Baptiste. I've been waiting for right. this day. Yeah. And you know what, Baptiste, so the the new addition to the cast, the whole the whole plot in this, this time, the crime revolves around Fiona Shaw's character, who plays an ambassador oh whose entire family disappears in the Hungarian mountains. Yeah. It's, yeah. So there's that. Coming up on Sunday. You had me at Hungarian mountains. Yeah. And there's a show on ITV called Professor T with Ben Miller as a criminologist and Francis Delatour as his mum. That has already been on Britbox, but it's airing, debuting on ITV on Sunday, and that's quite entertaining as well. Can't beat a bit we of Frankie Delatour. The third and final season of Manifest drops on Sky One uh, on the 16th as well. Uh, the final season of Van Helsing drops on Netflix also on the 16th. Big day for finals on the 16th. Um, oh, and if, if you enjoyed what, that ridiculous Power Book 2 thing, Power Book 3 Raising Canaan drops on Sunday, July the 18th on Stars Play. And I think Disney Plus has got the Turner and Hooch series arriving 
this week as well. I think that's the week after. That's the week after. Is it it's, that, is the week after? They're on Wednesdays okay. now. Yeah, it's the Wednesday after. Um, so what would our pick of the week be? This is, I'll be honest, a rhetorical question, but carry on. Oh. Baptiste. <laughs> yeah, Baptiste. Right. Way up and Baptiste. Baptiste. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I should have. Uh, I don't know why. J- James was like, "Oh, let's do War of the Worlds." It's like it was a given. I was like, "I should. I, I've got to think. I've got to fight these things I know, more." That's, well, I just thought that one would uh, agreed somehow, but I didn't realise it was just James agreeing with himself. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I, I mean, didn't challenge it to be fair to myself. I blame this myself. In a nutshell, isn't it? I blame myself. <laughs> Uh, right, okay. So that, I guess, is it for this week's incredibly long Pilot <laughs> TV podcast. Uh, I think you'll agree uh, that that is definitely worth a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. So please do take a moment to leave us a suitably glowing review. You can find us on social media now, as always, at James E. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. And you can find Ashling on Twitter at we Miss B. Uh, by the time this show lands in your ears, you'll already know how England fared in the football on Sunday night. But really, when you get right down to it, it doesn't matter whether football came home because whether England won or lost Richmond FC is coming home and we'll be celebrating the club's triumphant post-relegation season on the next episode when we finally slip into the warm embrace of Ted Lasso season two until then pilot out